Good morning, church. It's uh, great to be together with you, and um, we're going to open the Word again, and we're going to be spending again this Sunday in um, Romans chapter 8. In a couple of weeks, two weeks, the day that there's going to be this event at Lake Wilcox is very fascinating that um, Romans chapter 8, we are going to be encountering the Scriptures. It actually teaches us about the issue of creation, and uh, we have a special guest that day who's going to come here, whose specialty, who's been educated and been working in part of the issues surrounding creation care. Uh, she has been chosen to go to the Lausanne Conference on this topic, and um, she happens to be uh, an amazing uh, uh, person. She's my sister. But... Um, <laughs> She is the director of uh, Global Justice and Compassion with the Christian Missionary Alliance in Canada, and uh, she's going to be bringing the message because uh, why not have someone who uh, that's part of their role uh, and who's been living and breathing this, not just within the Christian Missionary Alliance, but also in other uh, uh, organizations and um, charities, NGOs. So. Uh, Look forward to, to that. In my hand, I hold a translation of the written Word of God. As I read it and study it, memorize it, and more so apply it, my mind will be renewed, my heart will be transformed, my life will be changed. And that is true for every one of you who do the same. God's Word is alive and active. Jesus said, my words are life. There's a dynamic to the Word of God that you don't find reading any other book on the planet. His words, empowered, applied, and illuminated by the Holy Spirit of God, there is a dynamic that takes place if you open your heart to it, believe that, and read by faith. So, um, I'd just like to read our text today. It's, I don't want us to follow along on the screen. We're going to get into that, but just would you listen to the word? We're going to pick it up in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set a mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if the Spirit of Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life 
to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The word of the Lord. So let's unpack. We started in Romans chapter 1, or 8, chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. And he starts off with that great statement that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law can't condemn you. The enemy of your soul, the devil, can't condemn you. There is no condemnation. There is no end condemnation at the end of time before the judgment of God. That is not a part of your plan anymore. Can I hear an amen? Some of you guys said you would do that, and you're not doing that. Last week, I mentioned that, and some people said, I'll say it, I'll, I'll talk to you, okay. That's the beauty. And then we see that there's a, there's a law, a principle, a power, an authority that's at work in us. But when we, it, it, it leads us to do the things we don't want to do, we shouldn't do against God's law, all of that. But when we are in Christ, that is when we believe that he was the son of God, when we receive him into our lives and receive his forgiveness and commit to follow him, the Holy Spirit of God, as we're going to learn again today, comes within us and he brings into us a new power, a new law, not is the law of sin and death, but the law of the life in the spirit, the life of Christ in the spirit. And we learned that these are not equal and opposite laws. No, the law of the spirit of life in Christ is actually supersedes the law of sin and death. And that's hopeful, friends. God has given you the capacity now. We don't always choose to. But he's given us the capacity to choose not to sin. He's given us the power and the authority to be able to live according to the spirit of God. And we're going to learn about that today. It's good news. It gives you confidence as you follow him. So in our passage, Paul, he uh, sets up a, uh, you know, he juxtaposes or he puts, he juxtaposes two positions. That is, he puts side by side to contrast, to show them something very powerful here. And that is, he's talking about the flesh and the, and the spirit. And the spirit, as we heard, is a supersedes that of the flesh, but these two descriptions of two types of people. And to underscore their spiritual state prior, prior to trusting Christ, the Apostle Paul sets this contrast about where their spiritual life is now. And he's going to highlight the incompatibility of the two between the spiritual and the fleshly ways of living and thinking. Now, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul celebrated the breakdown that Jesus, or the breakthrough that Jesus provided uh, for those who trust in Him. Remember, we talked about that. That comes like when you restart reading, you know, in particular, it sets up all the bad news through Romans 1, all the way through to 3, 4, 5. And here we find that what, in chapter 5 that while we were still sinners rejecting God, He loved us so much that Jesus died for us. In chapter 6, we learned that. In our faith union, when we trust him, we actually can be united. That when Jesus died, it's like we died to that old life and our old nature. And when Christ was raised, we were raised to new life in him. 
And so the trouble is that sometimes, it need not be this way, but oftentimes, if you were like me or like many others, we try to live this new life in the power of our own strength. We're going to pull up our bootstraps. We're just going to, we're going to go and do it. And then suddenly we realize it's really hard to live like Jesus in our character, in our attitudes, in our thinking, and in our values and what we just love in this world. We react in ways that are not the way Jesus would react. And so then we, we then do what most of us do, and we take on the philosophy of try harder, do better. And the harder we try, it's exhausting, and we find that we can't sustain doing better in our own strength. This is what Paul talked about in Romans 7. He loved the law of God, but he just found that he couldn't consistently live it. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I, do, I don't want to do, I end up doing. Who will free me from this? <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, he says, and this picks us up in chapter 8. And here's what he's talking about now, that we actually have a new law. The law of the Spirit is stronger, superseding the law of the flesh. We live in the Spirit. And he's going to teach us four things about living in the Spirit in these verses. When we live in the Spirit... We believe that he's going to do four things. It's a life of faith. And we trust that as we live in the Spirit, we believe that he is going to change our mindset. He's going to change our mindset. We see this in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. This is a life that's conditioned and patterned after a couple of things, flesh or spirit. First, you've got this basic moral condition that you're of the flesh. Second, there's an inward frame of heart and mind that results from that condition. And therefore, if we live according to the flesh, it just emanates through our practical life. And the same thing happens, though, with the spirit on the positive and the good side. If one lives according to the Spirit, it means that the practice of his or her life begins to emerge and proceeds from this basic moral condition, this transformation, this new nature we've been given. And coming from this heart and mind now controlled by the Spirit, sanctified and directed by the Holy Spirit of God, uh, it begins to show. It begins to show. So just as... as As just hinted at, the mind is both influenced by and involved in perpetuating these patterns, either of the flesh or of the spirit. He says the mind that is set on the spirit is governed by the spirit. The the absorbing objects of thought and interest and affection and purpose are just found in the spirit of God, not in our flesh, not in the worldly ways that we live. So he's talking about a mind that has a settled way of thinking, a worldview, perspectives convictions and beliefs, all of this wrapped up in the mind that's set on the Spirit of God or the flesh. Those who live according to the flesh set their mind on that. Their minds, the objects of thought, their interests, their affections are all about 
on their own natures, their own sin, their physical you know, desires, and whatever the world pumps into all of that as well. Some of you, if you are here this morning and don't know Jesus, you might be married to a believer or you know a believer, and you go, why do they always just, like, can't they just be normal? Like, they always think about God. They always think about church. They talk about the Bible. They, well, because here's why. Their minds are set on the Spirit. They see life through the lenses of Jesus and the Spirit and the Scripture and God. He's transformed their hearts. You see, being a Christian isn't some sort of add-on religious to your ready life that is, you think is good. Being a Christian is being completely transformed. Not just forgiven, but the Spirit coming in, changing your nature, and then living the way Jesus calls us to live. And if it's according to the Spirit, that's why our minds are on the Spirit. Verse 6, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. The mind that is set, is controlled by the flesh, is death. It's, it, it's, 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 it sort of, it's against God. It, it drifts from God. It rejects God. It, it wanders from God. And if it keeps going that way, there, there's an end to that that is spiritual death. The mind controlled by the Spirit yields up life and peace. When he's talking about life here, he's talking that real divine life from God himself. The Gospel of John talks about it. It's literally the life of God by the Holy Spirit within. And he said, the mind that's controlled by the Spirit, it yields up life and peace. The mindset is, according to the Spirit, is in harmony with Christ it's in alignment with God and His Word. It, it, it lines up life in alignment with our Creator, the way He intended it to be. And the Spirit knows the mind of God and brings this mindset to bear. How do you know what to do? The Spirit of God knows the mind of God. I was just thinking about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and just let me read. It talks about how the Spirit searches everything, even the deep things of the mind of God in the Trinity. No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Holy Spirit, who's from God. Why? That we might understand the things freely given to us by God. The natural person, this is a person who doesn't know Jesus, they don't accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly, their foolishness. You ever, you ever get you know, accused of that? People think you're a fool. They're foolishness to them. Why? He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. They don't have the capacity to discern and understand. That's what the role of the Spirit of God does. He takes what God, the knowledge of God, the things of God, he makes them alive to us and teaches us. It's a beautiful thing. So with such congruence in our mind, that now we have peace within our minds. We've got peace in our minds, peace with God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And one of his characteristics in Galatians chapter 2, the fruit of the Spirit, one of them is peace. 
In verse 7 and 8, he goes on and says, the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. Remember he said the mind that is set on the flesh is death. Here's why. In the NASB, it actually continues at 4. He says, because, why is the mind set on the flesh death? Because the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to his law. Indeed, it can't. So the mind that is set on the flesh, it's a state of mind defined by hostility or rebellion or rejection of God, not allowing God to be number one and lead our lives. Because we want to do that. It doesn't submit to God's law. It can't. Now, church, can I just speak to Christians for a second? Why do you expect non-believers to act like Christians? This is telling us they can't. So let's just relax. Don't expect someone who doesn't believe in Christ to act or believe or live like a Christian. They can't. They want to do their own thing. Now, Paul's main purpose in highlighting the radical differences between flesh and spirit is to show why only those who walk and think and are after the Spirit can actually have life from above. His intent is to encourage the church at Rome. His intent today through His Spirit is to encourage you to motivate you to continue to live faithfully and give, give you confidence in Christ in the face of a culture that just opposes the law of the Spirit of life in Christ. So this is why he's showing us, friends. He's not to condemn you because you don't try hard enough and do better. No, he's encouraging you. If you've trusted Christ, the Spirit lives in you. You now, within you, is the Spirit of the life of, of Christ in the Spirit. You have the capacity to choose to follow him and obey him. And it's a beautiful thing. And he just says this in verse 9. You, however... Not, not like the person who's after the flesh, who can't please God, who's hostile, who's, that road ends in death. Not you. You're not in the flesh. You're, you're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. This leads us to the second thing. We live in the Spirit, believing that He will inhabit our spirit. That He will come and actually inhabit the deepest recesses of your being. Like literally, like this is the mind-blowing thing for us. Sometimes we, do you want some religion or do you actually believe this to be true? That literally God, the Holy Spirit, comes and lives, dwells. The word means to literally take up residence. It's a warm word of fellowship within your very being. And we believe that he will do that. Here's what it says, Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, in the Spirit, if the Spirit dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. The corollary, what's implied here is anyone who has the Spirit belongs to him. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> He's meant to encourage you and give you confidence. If the Spirit is in you, you are a believer. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit dwelling within their being. 
And Paul declares to the church that they don't belong to the flesh, the flesh side of things. They belong to the spirit side of things. And when he says, if in fact or if indeed, it's not meant to imply a cause of doubt. It's actually rather to stress what is actually true about you. The believers in the church in Rome belong to the realm of the spirit precisely because the spirit of God dwells in them. And their culture was just incredibly stratified with racism, perverted in their sexual perversions, power. You think our culture is bad. You have no idea what first century Rome was like. You start reading about the Greco-Roman world, it would shock you. And this is where the church flourished. The net point is that if one possesses the Spirit, the Spirit possesses them. No Spirit in them, no Christ in them. Christ in them, the Spirit in them. So, this gives us good news. Here's the third thing. If we live in the Spirit, we live in the Spirit believing that He will not only change our mindset and inhabit our spirit, but He will enliven our bodies. Living in the Spirit means we believe and trust Him that He will enliven our bodies. Listen to these words in Romans chapter 8, verse 10. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, I'll explain that, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. The Spirit is in them. Christ is in you. And although the body is dead, it means that if a believer's body, well, there's two ways to look at this, and I'm going to show you two ways to understand this. Both are true, by the way. First one, if a believer's body is dead, still their spirit is alive, right? Their bios life might be dead, but their zoe life, that life where the spirit is connected to the real them, their personality, their soul, their mind, their spirit, it's alive. The second way is if a the body is dead, and some of your translations would say that that is is subject to death. The body is subject or influenced by the effects of sin still. Just living in our world, remember, the Scripture says that the last enemy to fall before when Christ returns is death. He's defeated it on the cross when the resurrection, but the one to finally is under his feet, gone forever, is not until he returns. And so in the meantime, the effects of sin in our world, disease, all kinds of things happen in life, and they can influence our physical bodies. But the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. That is because of our right standing before God. We are in right relationship with God that results in a change of behavior, but it really is talking about a right relationship or draw. The Spirit is alive because of righteousness. The human spirit is alive after the believer's body dies because it's infused with life from above in the spirit. And the life in the spirit is life in contrast with death. So what am I saying here? What's happening here is this, that the spirit, even though our bodies are subject or liable to, to sickness or disease and all of that, the spirit gives life to them. And if that happens where we were to die, the Spirit will still give life to us at the resurrection at the end time. He is going to do what he did with Jesus, raise us. 
Here's this verse, Romans 8, 11. So if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, does he? He just said, you, you have the spirit in you. So again, this isn't to cause doubt, it's to give assurance. The spirit of him that is of God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells within you. He, God, who raised Christ from the dead, or sorry, the spirit, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells within you. God raised Jesus by the, through his Holy Spirit. The same spirit of God presently dwells within the believer. So God will give life to your mortal body through the spirit who dwells in you. And there's two ways to see this. Number one is in the resurrection at the end time. The Spirit of God will resurrect the bodies of believers one day when Christ returns. This is the blessed hope of the Christian, that we will be reunited with bodies that will be fit for all eternity in the new heaven, the new earth. Our spirit, soul, body, the, you know, the real us, our personality, is safe and secure in the presence of God right now. You may call that the now heaven. But Christ is going to return He's going to establish his throne, and then all of the church with him, the holy city, will descend from above, and he is going to transform this entire world. You're going to hear about this. And the beauty is the dead in Christ will rise, and our bodies will be resurrected, made completely new. I don't, it's mind-boggling to think about what's going to happen. But those bodies will be able to live for eternity in the new heaven, the new earth. So that's one way the Spirit will give life to your mortal bodies. That is, when you are resurrected. But there's another way. And that is that the Spirit will quicken. The old writers talked about quickening. It meant to stimulate with energy, to infuse with vitality, to strengthen when weak, to give vigor when tired, to sustain during pain, or to heal when sick. And in favor of this interpretation, the founder of the uh, Christian Missionary Alliance, Dr. A.B. Simpson, he believes that this is actually what this passage is teaching, and that he gives five quick reasons. Number one, in the Scripture, it is Jesus who is spoken of as the agents of the final resurrection. He speaks, bodies rise. Secondly, the passage talks about the spirit that is now in the body of the believer giving life. He's in you. The third thing is that the Holy Spirit in the Scripture is never presented as dwelling in dead bodies. Paul, fourthly, uses the term mortal bodies. What is a mortal body? It's our physical bodies that doesn't live forever, that's subject to or liable to, not a dead body, but one that's liable to death and will die one day. Does that make sense? <laughs> the last reason he thinks that he's talking about our present bodies is because he gives life to, and in the, he, he quickens, and he makes allusion to this in chapter 4, verse 17, talking about Abraham. Abraham was given a promise that he would have a son, even though his, it says in there his body was dead. 
He was going to give life to his body. Even though he was past the age of childbearing, and so was Sarah. But in that context, it says, God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that are not, in hope Abraham believed him and did not weaken his faith. In that context, to quicken or to give life to his body meant to invigorate his present body. And for all of those reasons, that's why some commentators believe that also it includes our present bodies. And I can only say this. There have been countless times, countless times, where my physical body has been weak or sick, worn out, you name it. And I believe this to be true. And you know how many times I've prayed this prayer, God, you know I got this meeting. God, you know I got to get up and teach this on Sunday. I ask that you would come by your Holy Spirit and give life to this mortal body of mine. Quicken it, quicken my mind, quicken my body. And you know, then suddenly the day goes by or the, 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 the ministry happens and then you go back and you're like, he did it. Sometimes, and I've experienced personally, sometimes he'll actually heal a sickness or a body. Gives life to a body. He hasn't done it every time. I've watched people literally get physically healed of an incredible disease. And then I've watched someone three days later praying over them with just a little bit of vertigo and it didn't get healed. I can't understand it. I cannot demand God. But I know he does and I submit to his will and whatever he does. Sometimes it means literally the healing of the body. It means invigorating. And one day, it's going to happen in all of its fullness when he raises us from the dead and gives us life eternal in new bodies. The last thing, to live by the Spirit, we believe that he will change our mindset, give us his mind. We believe that he'll inhabit us. He does. He is. He'll enliven our bodies. And lastly, he will conquer our misdeeds. He'll help us to live a holy life. The things we do wrong, the sins we commit, the things that we do in our our body, like taking vengeance or, you know, just all kinds of things in our bodies that we do with our physical bodies, the misdeeds, the sins we commit. He will conquer them. How do I know that? In verse 12, he goes on, So then, brothers and sisters, we're debtors, but not to the flesh to fulfill or to live according to it. We're debtors, not to the flesh and its domination. We've been freed from the law of sin and death. We're debtors to God for all he's done for us. And in the context of Romans after 8, we're especially indebted to his spirit to live for him in all that he gives. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if the spirit, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. As I, bring, as I land this plane, which some of you are hoping I would have done by now, just to recap... 
The law of the spirit of life is the authority and power of the Holy Spirit. Got it? Get it? Good. The law of sin and death is the authority, power, and power of sin, which rules in a life where God does not dwell. These two laws are not equal and opposite, no. After Jesus' death and resurrection, the Father highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name, every power, and every authority. And in our union with him, in our union with Christ, his death delivers us from the guilt of sin. Yes? In our union with him, in his resurrection, he delivers us from the authority of sin. Yes? And in our union with his spirit who dwells within us, he delivers us from the power of sin. So often in our lives, and I've been there so many times, all we think of is the past sin we do, and we just live our lives, and when we mess up, then we go back and we say to God, God, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And we trust him, he delivered us from the guilt of our sin. The good news of the gospel is that that's not, that's only half the story. The beauty is this, he gives us the Holy Spirit to live in us and fill in us so that going forward we can have power over sin so we don't have to. It's true. His Holy Spirit, when you surrender to him and ask daily to be filled with his Holy Spirit and you begin to develop this mindset on the Spirit, when you are faced with sin or temptation or things like that, you ask the Holy Spirit and he will fill you and he will give you the capacity to choose not to sin. Power over sin, not just freedom from it in the past. And friends... That is good news. The Spirit institutes within you and me a higher law with a more potent operating power that's more influential in its governing authority than the law, the power and authority of sin that works in the flesh. The Spirit operates in power and governing authority, supersedes the law of sin and death and the flesh, transforming and renewing our minds, sanctifying our hearts, subduing the flesh, and putting to death the evil deeds of the body. And as we live in alignment with the Holy Spirit and in His power, it's not try harder to do better, it's we trust because we can't, and we walk in faith and He'll help us. He liberates us giving us power over sin and the flesh. And this leads to true spiritual life. This draws us closer to God. This enters into participation and fellowship with God. The law of sin and death, when we're governed by that, we separate. We, there's distance from God. And this is the beauty absolute beauty of the gospel. We live in the spirit believing that he will change our mindset, inhabit our spirit, and live in our bodies and conquer the misdeeds of our flesh. I don't know about you. That gives me confidence that for the rest of today and tomorrow, as I trust, as I receive the Spirit's strength, as I allow him to transform my mind, I can actually walk 
and live not being bound by the law of sin and death, not being driven by my flesh, but rather by the Holy Spirit of God who guides and leads. That's great news. That gives us confidence to live. So, we've been singing about him. Romans chapter 8 is almost all about him. The Spirit of Christ. Do you have him? And if so, are you filled with him? That's why I'd love to pray over you today.